0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nelly. Our guest this week is Tom Gallagher, CEO of Dairy Management Incorporated. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta is delivering technology and fighting climate change. Learn more at Syngenta.com. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with DMI's Tom Gallagher next. Today's open mic is brought to you by Syngenta. Syngenta aims to deliver at least two technological breakthroughs each year to reduce agriculture's contribution to climate change. That goal is matched by a drive to reduce the carbon intensity of the company's entire operations by at least 50% by 2030. See what innovative thinking and collaboration can accomplish. Learn more at Syngenta.com. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. While many segments of the agriculture industry have shown remarkable recovery from the economic pit of the COVID-19 pandemic, dairy farmers and the dairy industry continue to struggle financially as higher input costs have consumed what would have been better margins from higher milk prices. Tom Gallagher, CEO of Dairy Management Incorporated, says the balance of supply and demand has improved.
1: Yeah, we're definitely in a, in a better equilibrium. And part of what happened within the dairy industry, and I suspect within others, is that during the pandemic, especially in the early stages, restaurants and even food service, quick-serve restaurants, had stopped serving overnight. And so milk didn't have its normal places to go. But to the credit of the industry, dairy cooperatives, state and regional promotion groups, and DMI – after the initial brunt of that, together, we've been able to move about half a billion pounds of fluid milk into the feeding banks for the hungry. So, it, you know, it, it took a little bit for the supply chain to adjust, just like it took restaurants a while to adjust to take out and things like that. But the dairy cooperatives and the promotion groups really showed their resiliency and helped to redirect a lot of that milk.
0: Even in the worst of times, uh, produce farmers were finding ways to get food to food banks because the, the demand had gone up so much. Uh, animals, uh, the hogs that were, were being donated by farmers and processed for food banks, but, but dairy farmers also with the perishable product. You work together and at some what would suggest the worst of times were finding ways to help others who really didn't have a lot of resources at that point.
1: Yeah, we worked very closely with Feeding America, which is the largest parent of feeding banks, and closely with co-op, dairy cooperatives and state and regionals to make sure that we could figure out how to get a perishable product that usually requires being kept chilled into the hands of, of needy people. And I'm really proud of what farmers and staff did. Uh, like I said, we moved over half a billion pounds of fluid milk to the feeding banks last year.
0: Tom, could you share with us, uh, from your perspective, Some dairy farmers lost a market for milk and had a very difficult circumstance of having animals having milk and having no place to go. Has that situation died down?
1: We did lose producers each year. Unfortunately, there's a a certain uh, number of producers who go out of business for financial reasons or they don't have anybody to pass the farm along to. Oftentimes their neighbor buys their cows, so our number of cows around nine point three million stays fairly constant. But last year we saw a little higher rate of people going out of business on the processor side. You continue to see the the effects of consolidation that every business is going through and I suspect you know will continue to happen at both the processor and the farm level.
0: Tom, how important is trade to the dairy farmers of the nation? How much riding on the success of the Dairy Export Council and Ms. Hardin now, uh, and also not only just the existing trade agreements, but any new global opportunities that may present themselves?
1: Well, the U.S. Dairy Export Council was also put in place by DMI in 1995. Uh, The staff of the Export Council, our DMI staff, the dairy farmers of promotion put about $20 million, a little more than that locally and nationally, into the program, and the Government adds another $7 million in in certain matching funds. And then the 120 or so members bring about a million and a half in dues. And what that allows us to do as an industry is not act as individual companies or players, but really from producer all the way through processor, manufacturer, marketer, to speak with one voice on trade policy and other factors. In 1995, we were exporting less than 2% of production. Today, we're in the 16.5%, 17% range. I think those numbers kind of speak for themselves in terms of how important it is to dairy producers because dairy producers... Are able to, through the great sustainability practices that they practice on their farm, they, they're able to continually improve the efficiency and the comfort of the cow to produce more milk. So, you know, with the domestic market, as many know, you know, we're basically flat in terms of population growth and, you know, we won't grow very radically over the next 20 or 30 years. You know, there's still a lot of room for growth. Of- dairy consumption, but the 3 billion people that are going to be added to the world in the next 20 or 30 years are going to be, their, their demographics are going to be, they're going to be older, it's going to be a population getting older in Southeast Asia and Africa, and those are going to be incredibly important markets for us to service.
0: Tom, how about domestic demand here for dairy uh, overall? You mentioned that, but I want to move a step closer. Has the pandemic returned to to normal demand, or how do you see demand for fluid milk and dairy products, uh, hopefully in this post-pandemic era?
1: Yeah, so last year, overall sales, domestic and export, we were up slightly, like 1.2%. But it was the exports were the exports that really carried us. Now, we were down domestically last year, eight-tenths of a percent. And that's new for us. We haven't, you know, had a a real down year in a while. But the eight-tenths of one percent, a lot of us, when the pandemic first hit, I think we would have felt it would have been a lot worse than that. But, you know, again, with the the work of the co-ops and the promotion groups switching gears quickly, I think we're able to keep that, you know, almost break even. I think as we look to this year, we're going to see some numbers that it'll take a while to make sense out of them. Because, as you know, at retail in the early days of the pandemic, people were buying as much of everything as they could, including milk. It's interesting, Jeff, during the pandemic, if you look at the sales of cereal and the sales of milk, a track just like they do track historically. About three ounces of every eight ounces sold is is used on cereal. So when cereal sales spiked in the early days of the pandemic, so did milk. And then as cereal sales dropped, so did milk. So this year, we're going to be comparing at retail against some, you know, very significantly high numbers for milk, for cheese, for butter, for, for frozen pizzas, And so it'll take a while to really read those numbers over the next, I'd say, five months to understand some of the consumption patterns as they change because it's going to look like at retail like the numbers are going down, but compared to probably two years ago, the numbers will will still be way up. I expect this to be a good year for sales, both domestically and export-wise.
0: Tom there is a lot of noise influencing consumers and consumer attitudes about food and nutrition. Uh, how difficult is it to keep up with what the consumers calling for? And I understand that Dairy 2030 has a new name. Does it have a new mission as well?
1: Now let me divide this the consumer front and then the governmental or quasi governmental agencies that influence dietary patterns, dietary guidelines. On the governmental side, the UN has really become an important body for us to deal with because they are setting standards for sustainable nutrition, so nutrition standards, sustainability standards. And they're heavily influenced by groups, uh, activists that are pushing for plant-based only diets or uh, different parts of the world, farmers like European farmers who think their model is the only model that can work. So on the one hand, we've really got it as an industry. We've really got the need to step up at influencing where those decisions end up at the UN and other governmental bodies because ultimately that will affect our dietary guidelines. And what we do there is two things. We have people who attend these meetings and and have a voice, and we continue to fund nutrition research like we have for 20 years with uh, full-fat dairy products, uh, we know that the guidelines need to change to include whole milk and full-fat dairy products, and we've tried to prove that with 50-some studies that we've done, along with other people conducting studies and we're hopeful that the dietary guidelines will change in the next go-around as the health community recognizes that for 40 years they were down the wrong track. So that's one side of it, and that influences consumer behavior. The other side of it is, is social media and where people get their information, and largely people today get their information by people like themselves on social media or other ways they connect. So it's really important for the dairy industry To think about the new world of advertising. Advertising is really, uh, consumers want a two way discussion. And so by us tracking, we have a world class tracking system on consumer sentiment. We can, we can judge sentiment on any particular topic or on any particular interaction on social media. And, you know, what we're focused on now is the Gen Z target audience, which is anyone from about the age of 10 to 23, and we're really engaging with them because they have a $100 billion in buying power, plus they influence the millennial and older generations. They're, they're really a very influential generation that we want to make sure understands the value of dairy dairy farming and sustainability.
0: So I'm going to slide this in, and I'm telling my age here. Tom, I grew up with Captain Crunch, uh, Captain Kirk, and Captain Kangaroo, but I understand that you're working now with another captain called Captain Sparkles. How do you reach Generation Z through this particular means?
1: Yeah, well, yeah, all the captains. We need all the captains. Yeah, Captain Sparkles is a very heavily followed influencer on social media and gamer and and Gen Zers really are gamers, both the, the men and the women. And so there's different games that we've embedded ourselves and our partners like Captain Sparkles into the games and embedded dairy and dairy messages. So a couple really cool things with the gaming are, are that the gamers have virtually toured farms and really, uh, you know, have enjoyed their time with the farmer. And so, construct within these various games that they play farms and encourage their followers to develop farms. And in some cases, the gamers even put up their own cash rewards for the best farms. Uh, the other part of gaming is, you know, gamers have a certain unique set of needs when it comes to consuming food and beverage while playing games. So we've worked through our gaming efforts and with gamers And we've developed 11 potential products, beverage and food, that we're looking at bringing to market as a result of these games. So we want to use the gamer audience for Gen Z to communicate the value of dairy, its taste, its goodness, its health, and most importantly to this audience is sustainability. And that's how we use the Captain Sparkles to help us.
0: So how much different is the the demand or the attitude of this younger audience to the traditional white gallon?
1: You know, the attitude of Gen Zers, and I happen to teach at a university, uh, this particular target audience, is really different than the millennial, which is the next generation up. Uh, This group, while they have a lot of buying power, as I mentioned, Uh, per capita, they have less than the previous generation. So what they use their, their dollars for when they, when they make decisions, they want to buy product that is driven by a company that they believe is doing the right thing. And they define, they can, they can define the right thing in a number of ways. Social justice, but across the board, they define it as well. Sustainability, environmental good and you know that's good for dairy because we have a great story to tell and as these gamers and gen z folks hear the story of the dairy farmer and the constant um you know continual improvement on the farm they're they're wowed they i I mean i literally see see people just their whole facial and other expression changes so If, if, if they're interested in sustainability, which there are, they are, that's, make no mistake about that, uh, we've got the story to tell. We just have to make sure the vehicle we're using, the, the games and others, uh, that two-way engagement that consumers want today, they don't want that push out of a TV ad, they want two-way engagement. We just have to make sure that our messages resonate.
0: How does the paradigm of consumer food shopping, regardless of generation, without a grocery cart affect you? Online shopping, food delivery, Amazon, if you will.
1: Well, the pandemic has really obviously pushed the needle forward quickly on e-commerce and Amazon and all the other retailers. We were in good shape with this in this sense probably two and a half years ago now. We recognized e-commerce would be a very big deal, and we did a test with Peapod, which is food delivery. It's about 600,000 customers in the Midwest and Northeast, and we wanted to start with them because they were regional, kind of small, and we worked with them for a month on milk messaging, and it cost us very little. Uh, it was the creation of content. And sales of fluid milk, particularly certain brands that they pushed pushed out, just really increased because it became top of what they call the algorithm. So as consumers would get on their site, milk would pop up and those sales continued to improve over time. So we did that as a test so that we could become a little more expert in this. And then we approached Amazon right after that test. So maybe a year, year and a half ago now. And We've worked with Amazon, met with their people many, many times, and they have named us their category champion, which means we will help them with creating content about dairy farmers and sustainability and nutrition. We will help them with new product ideas and, and other things. And And the reason that's important is I referenced this term, the algorithm. You know, somebody recently said, he who controls the algorithm will control marketing. So, I won't go into algorithms, but what's really important is that dairy products are placed, when when somebody goes on Amazon, that they're placed right up front where people see them and and not just leave it to what the person is thinking they want to order, but prompt that order as they get onto Amazon.
0: It would seem to be a no-brainer that you have a healthy product that would be in demand by a more health-conscious society. Is it that easy?
1: No, it's 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 really not. And here's why. And again, we're we're talking specific to fluid milk here. I mean, cheese consumption and butter consumption have been doing really, really well in carrying the, the, the dairy category. But when it comes to fluid milk, you know, we have we have great nutrition, nine uh, essential benefits. You know, great biodiversity, but. We have some challenges. We're not on the go, the refrigeration challenge and otherwise. And so many competitors of beverage have come into the space with really strong benefits to their product, nutritional benefits that appeal to consumers. So our challenge is not just the nutrition and the taste and the price, but it's the story behind the story. So it's the story of the farmer. It's the story of environmental sustainability. And then it's got to be innovation with more products on the go, or we're never going to go back to the office numbers that we've had in the past in terms of people where they work. You know, we're going to have a good chunk of people working from home. That presents a whole different opportunity to provide fluid milk products to people who are no longer getting in their car and driving for an hour. So that on the go has changed a little bit, but it's, it's not as simple as just talking about nutrition anymore because there are so many products compete nutritionally on the go with price, but if we tell our story and we continue to do innovation, I believe fluid milk can turn around.
0: One of the last topics I'd like to ask you about is the dairy transformation. What's your mission and what's your motivation here?
1: About two years ago, we started a project called Dairy 2030 where we wanted to look at How consumers will consume food and information in the year 2030, and we didn't want to trend things out because a trend is just, you know, based on past performance. We wanted to really understand from futurists and others in technology and whatever uh, walk of life how how people will change their eating patterns, their their information consumption patterns, and so we engaged the industry, we engaged. CEOs from outside the industry and several dairy farmers within promotion. And we came up with a study. We've completed a study that shows the key areas that we as dairy have opportunities to innovate around. But from those, the industry is now working on committees for each of those five areas to make sure that we innovate and do all the things that are necessary to be competitive in the future, so you know I'll, I'll I'll leave it with one thought, you know the industry in some cases we as an industry haven't always been able to innovate given margins and other things effectively, so or keep up with with innovations. Uh, so what this study does is say don't don't try to you know keep moving through some innovations that you're way behind on. Here's where you know, where we're going as a society, let's just leap to those innovations. But uh, it's it's one that's been endorsed by the industry, and I think it's going to make a big change on how we approach markets, products, and information.
0: Tom Gallagher, we want to thank you for taking time to be with us on this edition of Open Mic. So much happening in the dairy industry, from the producer to the consumer. Uh, this is Open Mic, and Tom, today you have the last word.
1: Well, I just want to thank you so much and all your listeners. Uh, you know, the checkoff is working for dairy farmers. It was very effective during the pandemic as we pivoted internationally and nationally uh, to continue to move dairy products and keep people informed of all the great work dairy farmers do.
0: Our thanks to Tom Gallagher, CEO of Dairy Management Incorporated. Our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by Syngenta, delivering breakthroughs in technology while cutting the company's carbon intensity by 50% by 2030. Learn more at
1: Syngenta.com. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dally.